So it went down to like, I was forced at that job over time to learn certain skill sets. Like I just, by nature of working there, became the graphics guy. Hey, you gotta learn Adobe Illustrator and Photoshop. Go, have fun. <laughs> and then it was, hey, you gotta learn how to build a website for this client. They're gonna pay us a ton of money. And I was like, I don't, I don't build websites. Oh yeah, but, but you're going to. So here, have fun with that. Oh, that website's not ranking. You gotta figure out how to do SEO. All right. (laughs) It just got handed to me where I was, I was already doing the band stuff and and figuring out how to do organic lifestyle, social marketing. And now I'm getting taught how to do like Google ads and SEO and website design. And I was learning on the fly. All right, welcome to the Supercharge with Digital Marketer, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss everything related to entrepreneurship and finding success and building business online. I'm your host and also the co-founder of Marketer, Kazuki. And in today's episode, we sit down with Jay Miller and he's also the founder of Kyber Digital, a boutique marketing agency that helps businesses stand out from the crowd, as well as he also shares his journey from being a musician previously, it's really crazy, by the way, to becoming a successful marketing entrepreneur. So we're going to be discussing how we, he developed his marketing skills, as well as the challenges he faced while building his agencies. And the, he also going to share a little bit of the principles that helped him to build a success and also to to find success in his agencies. So welcome to our marketing digital markets podcast, Jay. We're super happy to have you. And yeah, I know we talked a little bit about just together to get to know you, but I know the audience is really curious because you were previously a musician and now you transitioned to the marketing agency. So we'd love to hear a little bit about yourself. And if you could tell us a little bit more details over who you are, what you do, that would be super great. Yeah, no, I mean, like, I still am a musician. You know, I still write and record for not really myself so much anymore, but for other artists. And we can get into that later. But the yeah, I mean, like I, I started out basically focusing on learning how to develop marketing skills from a very young age. I was marketing when MySpace was a thing. It's like coding the, the page to make it look cool, figuring out how to get kids to subscribe to the MySpace page, all that. Like we, we really did do like locals, guerrilla style marketing, lifestyle marketing more so. And you don't have a budget. It's all like, how do you get people to pay attention to you? So even at 15 years old, like we were trying to figure out ways to get people's attention and to really stand out. We were looking at what the big guys were doing versus what they weren't doing, what people like would talk about, like when Beyonce just drops an entire album out of nowhere. And it's, oh, and that was a thing. And you can't do that as a, a small band. No one cares. No one knows who you are. But when you have the ability to have clout behind it. So we always used to look at that kind of stuff. And it's what led me into marketing by nature. Like the guys used to call me Corpo. Like I'm in probably all of their phones as Corpo still because I was like the business dude in the band. There's always one, right? Really? There's always one business guy in the band. And I did a lot of the back end stuff, booked the tours. I, I did a lot of that corporate crap that no one else wanted to do. And it just fell into my lap naturally that marketing became what it did for our, for our band. And, and it led to some really cool stuff. We got signed to like a major label and it was a really cool journey that led me to build into a marketing agency. And it kind of, the marketing agency was essentially a means to an end for a long time. It was, how do I make money on the road so that I can eat more McChickens and peanut butter and jellies? <laughs> so it was like, how do you feed yourself on the road and, and, and on a budget? And the breaking point was I found a couple of clients that wanted to build websites and that was how we got started. So that that's sort of how I evolved into this role and how I evolved into marketing. And I was always just naturally somewhat gifted with it. And, and here we are like 15 years later or so. That's interesting. I, I'm really curious because like, how did you end that up? Especially like you, you were doing musician, you were on the road eating Mac chickens and trying to find a way or success of a musicians and, what kind of like a turning point that kind of calls you to transition from musicians to building a marketing agency from scratch? Because obviously building business from scratch is not easy. And I'm really curious how you kind of decided to do that. 
it's kind of like it was a, a built out of necessity, right? So our tours were long. We would be on the road for 45, 60 days. These are national tours. We did Canada, Mexico, and we really went pretty far with it, right? So we would be gone for a while. And when we were gone, it's like you're living off of savings, right? Especially when you're like 22, 18 years old, like you're living off of whatever you had worked up from the previous time you went home. We would save up like a couple grand and then it would all be gone when we got home. We save up a couple grand and it'd all be gone when we got home. And it was like this vicious cycle where it's like the, the starving musician, you never had any money. And eventually I said to the guys, I was like, I'm, I'm going to have to figure out how to make money online. And there were so many ways to do it. And I had built an Etsy store, but it was through a company and it wasn't mine. But that's where I first saw it, where the Etsy store was like a Philly sports thing that we were, that I was tasked with building. And it was doing like 40,000 a month in sales and it was print on demand. And I was like, oh, this is kind of sick. This is, and this is like back in 12 when Etsy didn't even have the integrations it has now. Yeah. And it led me, you know, at the time I was working as a facilitator and operations manager at a screen printing facility. And I just really was, I wanted to not have to work there. I wanted to be able to make money online. So I said, well, if I leave this, I don't have to print on demand things. So I have to like, forget the Etsy thing. And, and so it went down to, I was forced at that job over time to learn certain skill sets. I just, by nature of working there, became the graphics guy. Hey, you got to learn Adobe Illustrator and Photoshop. Go have fun. <laughs> and then it was, Hey, you got to learn how to build a website for this client. They're going to pay us a ton of money. And I was like, I don't, I don't build websites. Oh yeah, but you're going to. So here, have fun with that. Oh, that website's not ranking. You got to figure out how to do SEO. Shit. All right. <laughs> it just got handed to me where I was already doing the band stuff and, and figuring out how to do organic lifestyle, social marketing. And now I'm getting taught how to do Google ads and SEO and website design. And I was learning on the fly. So I went to YouTube and I found Brian Dean and I found Neil Patel. And these are the guys that I learned SEO from. And they were like some of the better ones, the greats, if you will, of the SEO world. And then the same thing with web design. Start out building like really crappy Wix sites just to get your feet wet. And then we eventually learn plugins with WordPress. So it was built because I needed to build it in order to have income while I was on the road. So fast forward a couple of years, I actually began having freelance clients and we're on the road and I'm like hot spotting from my phone, building websites and doing SEO <laughs> and, and like met. And, and also doing like rapid Instagram growth because that was a thing back then. And it was like anything to make money, right? It was like, oh, you need your Instagram grow? Like, I, I got you. I have, a, I have a plugin. I have a software that's going to do that. I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like, it, it was just one thing after the other. And eventually I started to have too much work and I was making good money. And I was said to Aaron, who was the guitar player in the band, I said, hey, do you want to get out of the coffee shop? And have this so you can do this at home remote and we can do this together. And he was like, dude, yeah, count me in. Give me a little bit of side hustle money. Well, the side hustle money, I was like, I, I basically went to Aaron. I was like, hey, you're going to learn how to build websites. No. <laughs> <laughs> I started him out from nothing, from scratch. And, and he still works at the agency today. This is his full-time job, pays all of his bills. This is, his, this is a career for him. And now it's he knows way more than I do. It's like... I gave him constant courses and training and we bought new softwares and we bought knowledge panels for him to learn from. And now he's building sites that like, I can't even believe he can do. It's nuts all throughout like the stuff that he's built. So it was built so that I could have income on the road. And that's sort of how it was built and how it transitioned there. And then it, it just kept growing, man. Like then once I had help, then it just by nature, we were halfway decent at what we did. And it started to just grow on its own. And the clients would come to us and say, hey, can you also do my SEO? Hey, can you also do my Google ads? Hey, can you also do my Facebook ads? Hey, can you also do my email marketing? And it was like, I was a freelancer. And at the time, I was like, I got to really get an LLC or this is going to kill me on taxes and stuff. Like, So I created the LLC, right? And then voila, the agency was born. And that was really what it was. It was a means to an end. And we were building websites in the back of a van. We would go to a venue. We would load in. We would meet the fans. We would play the show, load out, and then repeat all the next day. So 
in between cities was when we were doing all of the the music stuff and uh, I'm sorry, the agency stuff. And then at night we would be musicians. And that's really how it was for three or four years. Like it was, that's what we were doing to make money. And then it really started to take off. It started to take off like right before COVID hit. And so this was a really weird transition period where we had just signed with Epitaph Records and it was just an amazing label, by the way. They've got like Green Day and Weezer's roster clients and Bring Me Horizon thrice, like a bunch of Warped Tour bands that we were all diehard fans for when we were growing up. And we got to the point where it was like, that was about to take off. And I got this side hustle that's making some serious money. And I was like, oh, what do we do? And then the pandemic hit. We were on tour. When, the, when Live Nation canceled all the shows across the country, the two bands we were on tour with, one was from Canada, one was from Australia. So then they, they got to like rapidly go home because the borders were getting closed. So this is like all of a sudden we're in the middle of, I think we were in Nashville and the next show was in Denver. And then we were like, well, we can't do the rest of the tour because all of California just got canceled. So it was basically like, just go home. And then everything started shutting down and quarantine happened. And in that time period, it gave us the time to write and produce and record all the demos for what become the first full length that was going to come out on that label. And then, and then eventually my agency just started to take off because COVID, I was working with contractors at the time and contractors were essential workers. Mm. So they were busier than ever. And they were closing like crazy. The homeowners skyrocketed buying material and buying home because now they're home all day. They're like, well, I might as well fix that thing I have been putting off for a year. I might as well fix that toilet. And everything just skyrocketed. And it kind of left me with a decision where I was like, you know what? I, I got a, 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 I think it was like six year old at the time. And I was like, you know, we're getting older. And I was like, I got to focus on this. And this is just like, I can't pass this opportunity up anymore. Like this is just happening without me even trying. So I just doubled down on it and then it exploded. So that's sort of how I fell into it, man. But like in, in the long run story of it, it was, it kind of just fell in my lap a little bit, but COVID was a big part of it, to be honest. Do you think if it wasn't for COVID, do you think you, would, you wouldn't be on this route? I think I'd still be doing freelance for sure. I, I'm a musician through and through. I've been doing it since like the, my first memories were music related. It's just, it's, it's in my blood. I, I still don't stop. I got four guitars sitting right next to me. <laughs> so it's, it's like, there's, I'm, I'm not stopping anytime soon. It's not, it's not a, a hobby. It's like, literally it's all I think about. Right. But so I don't know. I mean, I think I still would have done the agency. I, would it be as big with as many as, as employees as it is now? Probably not. Maybe I would have capped it, but COVID presented an opportunity that I just couldn't turn down. So it, it, that's why it just ended up going where it went. And but it's interesting because the rest of the guys, it gave them the same opportunities. Where like now Pete is uh, our drummer that was in the band. He's now back in LA doing some really cool record um, records, and uh, he's written for some really big people and been working on. He's got like Kendrick Lamar credits and stuff now. It's awesome. No so, way, that's cool. Yeah, so it's it's cool. It's cool to see where it all fell, where it all went, and um, I'm just really. I think it. I think it almost needed to happen. It was like a really weird transition for all of us, but in in kind of a blessing in disguise in some ways. Yeah, like I'm literally picturing like a Batman. Like you're at the night, you're the musician. You're still a musician at heart, <laughs> and then you're Bruce Wayne, and then during the day, doing building Kyber Digital from scratch, and I know this. Like I myself, like we we build digital marketing agency from scratch. It's not easy at all. Especially you guys are really different because you guys were building it on the road. That's a next level. In, in a van, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like a really hardcore story. And I want to jump into more of what you do for Kyber Digital and what was your the core business. What you guys do? If you could share a little bit of, about what you guys specialize in, what is the secret sauce? That what are the reasons you guys started it to help the companies? Well, when we first started, like I was telling you before, we were doing a little bit of everything, but primarily we always focused on web development, SEO, and advertising. It was always those three things because that's just what I found first. I found that all the clients that I got in freelance were like, "Can you make me show up on Google?" Can you build me a website? Can you run some ads for me? Can you help me with getting more customers? 
And we would dabble with social media. We would dabble with video stuff. We'd dabble with email. It got to the point where I started to figure out what worked and what didn't. And we experimented with a whole bunch of stuff. And I was very fortunate that I had one client early on that, that allowed experimentation. He was like, let's just try everything and see what works and what doesn't. And that was a really good way to look at it because the guy, we very pinpointed what didn't work and doubled down on stuff that did. And it allowed him to exponentially grow the business to where they like went. He had a 400% growth in two years, like multi-millions of dollars. Still to this day, like he almost every year since we started with him seven, eight years ago or whatever it is now, like he's, he's just grown every year, has not slowed down. And at this point, it's almost on autopilot. So I, I think what it ended up allowing me to do is it, it fell into the stuff that I started with. It was like, well, I know I'm really good at SEO. Why? I spent my 10,000 hours figuring out how to do SEO. And then I know how to do Google ads and Facebook ads because along the way, I spent the 10,000 hours learning how to do Google and Facebook ads. And it then became, well, how do I merge these two things together? Not, oh, I have one tactic and one tactic and we're doing them at the same time. How do I make them talk to each other in a data-centric place? How do I make them snowball, build momentum? How do I make these things compound exponentially and accelerate? So over the course of a couple of years, we were really looking at developing a mechanism that would do that. And it, we even went into account-based marketing to figure out if that was a way to do that. And out of years of just toying around with it, it kind of came back to, well, it's mostly multi-touch attribution models. So the key was how do you hack the SEO algorithm to get a leapfrog, a quantum leap in results and not have to wait years. So you really had to just understand what Google wanted. Um, so then we went back and did more research there. And long story short, we came up with a, a proprietary mechanism that we call quantum search. And realistically, there's no one else on the planet that does it. it. There's a couple people that do something similar, such as HubSpot and Neil Patel, where it's very video market centric, but nobody's doing what we're doing. And it beats the AI, like all the chat GPT, the Jasper makes all that irrelevant. You can, you don't have to worry about writing articles or doing content at scale and relying on AI to do it. We found a way to do content at scale where we're not using AI and it's video centric. And it's all SEO friendly. And then we pair it down for both social media and for advertising. So we're killing like five birds with one stone. And that only came from a couple of things. Like one, the fact that it was like a guerrilla style tactic that we had to put all this together. And I think that came from like the background in the music industry where it was like, we have to do stuff that's unorthodox to make stuff work, especially on lower budgets, which a lot of the clients we started out with had. And I'm talking low, hey, can you make this work for a thousand bucks a month? Like, no, <laughs> but I'll try. <laughs> and, 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 then, and eventually you get up to the point where it's, you're charging all of a sudden from that and now you're charging 30,000 a month. And you're like, okay, well, this is different now. Now it works. And you can see big data numbers and, and it starts to actually compound on itself very quickly. So where it really came from was like quantum search is the mechanism we do. And it's like a new and different way of doing paid and organic traffic. So essentially what we do is we create these funnels where like we, we craft the mechanism in the sense of we do all the keyword research first. We find out what people are searching for Google. We then answer all of those questions, right? And we answer them with video. So then we take the video and we chop it up into every question's a mid form and every question also is turned into a short. And we have some secret proprietary copywriting stuff in there, as well as data stuff that I, I don't want to share on this, but <laughs> then we take all of that and we write articles to it. So we transcribe it. We have a transcription. that's all AI based. All this happens in a matter of 20 minutes. And then it's down to, okay, well now we have the ability to write articles and embed those videos with video schema inside of the websites. And so you're looking at a lot of work. Like it takes nine people on my team just to do this process between the interviews, the keyword research and, and having people that know how to do every step of this. Like we had to build a machine of people and an assembly line to make this work. It is definitely not easy. I can tell you that much. It sounds easy as I'm saying it, but to do it at scale and to say, hey, we can churn out 30 videos and blogs and shorts and schema 
per month per client. And by the way, you have 50 clients like that, that became like a scale issue. Right. So it's like, how do you do that? And it, it was like drastically fixing all the SOPs. So we, I guess a long-winded answer to your question is that is what we do. We found a way to increase brand exposure, leapfrog the SEO game because video is everything with SEO, add that video content directly into advertising, whether it's video ads or remarketing, and then repurpose it for social media, both on the mid form and on shorts, which we repurpose for YouTube, LinkedIn, and TikTok. So, and because the method is data-driven and it's data-led, it works for any industry, any niche. It does not matter. Ecom, mechanical engineering is an interesting case study there. Personal injury, it does not matter. In fact, this method actually allowed some of our, one of our personal injury clients to like kind of expedite their reach into the area that we're in. They, they went from literally having nothing, bare bones just started to now they're outpacing Morgan and Morgan in several markets. So it really did show us from the data-led perspective that it works and we're really the only people doing it. So it's kind of just been my mind meld method of everything that we've learned, of all the consultants that I have, all the people that have worked with me along the way to make this happen. This was the outcome of that. And, and we're kind of continuously adding on to it. Like every other month or so, we're, we're tweaking it to make it even better. So the results have been really cool to see. But yeah, that, that's primarily what we do. In a nutshell, it's, it's video marketing, content marketing, SEO, advertising. In a nutshell, it's basically what we do. Amazing. Well, there are so many agencies out there and I know you started your journey like on the road and as a musician and everything in, that happened for a reason. And I'm really curious though, because there are so many agencies out there and it's becoming really saturated with all the digital marketing agencies, different types of agencies that help focus on helping companies scale or generate more leads or uh, for example, generate more sales. So I'm kind of curious, what is the differentiator in terms of your businesses and how, um, in terms of the offer that you guys provide compared to the other competitors out there in the market? Well, I mean, there's, there's a lot. Uh, one, one of our core values is that, actually, it's, it's the first core value that we have is that there is no competition. You are the only competition. So stop worrying about what everyone else is doing. Just make really good products and services and deliver really great customer service and make it actually work. Because at the end of the day, if it works, people will buy it. And if you can prove it works, people will buy it. So that was the first thing is that I wasn't going to look at what some of the gurus were doing and try to replicate it. And maybe that was to my own detriment. And maybe that's why it did take us a longer time to get off the ground than maybe like the 15 year old that took the template from like one of the guru teams. And, and then it was like, then they're done. And it's over. It's, they're making millions of dollars in 45 days. We didn't take that route or that model. I wasn't going to only be a lead gen company. I never wanted that. I always wanted to focus more on business development, business growth, more so than lead generation solely. And it's always been the case. Like when we dove into our clients, turns out that nine times out of 10, outside of just lead gen, they needed help with 20 other things that their business was on fire with. And I, I literally walked into a room one time. It was a local business that, that was doing really well and they wanted to scale. I walk into this building and I like spoke to the owner for five minutes and I like put my head down. I'm like, oh God, and I'm like looking down the ground. They're like, oh, is it that bad? I'm like, no, it's great. It's not you. And she's like, what is it? I'm like, I just wish I didn't know what I know. Cause now I'm not going to be able to help myself. <laughs> Cause I'm like, <laughs> I want to like, I, I can see how to piece all this together. And I'm like, ah, here comes another six month project I'm going to put myself into. And, but it ended up working out because then she had a really big revenue jump from everything that we did. But so the biggest differentiator, I think, is your mindset, which is very cheesy to say, but let me rephrase it. Like the biggest differentiator is that I don't really give a shit what everyone else is doing. And the second differentiator is actually being different and doing something different. Like I said just a minute ago, like no one else is doing quantum search, just us. And even the agencies like Neil Patel or HubSpot, they're doing something similar. I know for a fact they're not doing what we're doing. One, because I study their stuff very closely. And two, because it's we have proprietary ways of doing the data aggregation on the back end. 
with our data analysts. Like we have a very specific method to know where the exponential curve is going to occur and where we're going to put the gasoline on the fire to make it happen. It's very much a data-led approach. So the differentiator there is coming from both the, the, the way in which we think about ourselves and, and how we push ourselves, but also the way in which we move the needle forward with new methods and strategies that are, I don't like to call them groundbreaking, but that, that are outside of the box thinking or stacked together in a unique way that provide a superior result to what the templated stuff that other people are doing are doing, because all those templates might work for a while, but then they stop. And there was one guru that I won't mention his name, but there was one of those guys that's like very popular in the lead gen space, Facebook ads. And he bluntly says on one of his, a bunch of his stuff, he says, we have to change what we're doing and what works about every three to six months. And they're not just like tweaking their core offers. Like they're reinventing their entire offer to the market every six months. And that sounds exhausting, dude. Like, why would you want to do that? So it's, it's more so like they're finding a weird thing that worked. They'll run it. They train people on it. It gets saturated. They move on to the next thing. And I didn't want to be that lead generation guy. I wanted to be a business dev guy. And I really wanted to focus on building things that really stuck out, both with integrity, both with pushing the limits of what was possible. But And then that's the mindset piece I mentioned earlier, but also creating something that was actually different. Because I want the clients who are on the prospects in, in the calls, I want them to say to me, man, I've never seen anything like this. And that is where we, when we started to have that response pretty often, that's when my sales guy and I both on the calls were like, we're on to something, you know, because now we're, we're getting this reaction every time. I've never seen anything like this. This is really different. This caught my attention. I'm intrigued. You know, it's new and different, but it was actually new and different. It wasn't just a regurgitated mashed up thing. It was like, we actually did something different. And I was only able to do that because I did the work and I dove in and I learned what I needed to learn. So I, I think that's like the long-winded answer to your question, but yeah, I mean, it, it actually is different. And, and even our sales process is different. The way in which we engage the clients through discovery all the way to close is very different than I think what most of our clients are used to. So yeah, that, that's what I would say about that one. Interesting. Do you think like the music, being a musician, like having that musician experiences has influenced your approach or do you think that has a big impact on that as well? Oh yeah, man. Absolutely. You look at all the bands that would be on Warp Tour, you'd look at the ones that had the big crowds and you'd say, what are they doing different? You know, whether it was the messaging, whether it was the branding, whether it was, you know, the energy on stage or the gimmick, whatever they were doing, you're, you're just wondering why. You're asking yourself why, which is also a core value at Kyber is to ask why something's happening. Why is this working? Why is this user using this the way they're using it? Why are we not getting traction? Why is this failing? We looked at, as a band, we would go and tour and you would see a lot of the guys doing the same thing. They'd be like almost, it would be like watching the same band for two hours on a tour sometimes where you'd be like every band on the roster was doing the same shit. All the songs sounded the same. They were all about the same things. They all had the same vibe. All the merch looked the same. And we purposely went a different route. Like we were earlier in the career, we were a pop punk band. We purposely chose to work with this guy, Taylor Larson, who had done Periphery and Vale of Maya, which are big Grammy nominated metal bands. And it paid off because one, he was way more interested in the project because it was it was a breath of fresh air for him. He wasn't working on metal for all day long. He was working on a, a, a pop punk band or like a, an alt rock band. And, and then we brought in this guy from first to last, which was what, the guy from Skrillex. So that was his first band. We brought him in and he's like doing all that with the production stuff. It made the sound of what we were doing different because we had these different influences on it than if we had gone to somebody that only did pop punk. It was a win for both parties. Our music sounded different from the production style. And it also had the producer was way more into it because it was something he just didn't do a lot. So it was like it produced something that started to get attention because it was different. And so, yeah, I mean, it, we always were trying to not be like everybody else. We we're always trying to just do our own thing and just and at the same time stay true to who we were. But we always tried to 
know, break the wheel, if you will, a little bit. And when it came to marketing, it's exactly why I didn't want to repeat these templated things that a lot of the gurus were in when I was getting into direct response. I was like, I don't want to run a Facebook campaign or and, and, and say I'm a marketer. It's not really the case. I don't want to do a, a pay-per-lead model or a pay-per-call model where I'm just hoarding out leads through advertising, putting them in a bucket and then sending them off to people and saying, here's your lead. But that lead doesn't know who the company is. They're not building that company's brand. And the moment that process disappears, that company's in no better shape than they were but then before they met you. Whereas if every single one of my clients, I can confidently say, if they leave the roster, they're going to continue to make money from the efforts that we put in, whether it's direct or indirect. And that to me is more valuable. That drives more revenue. And we're able to counteract that by saying like, we've generated millions for our clients even after they've left the, the roster. So th- that's the major difference there for us was, you know, I, I think I've always thought, let's do something slightly different. Let's push the boundaries of what is normal. Let's go above, not above and beyond, but let's just go where nobody's really gone yet and experiment with those ideas and see what happens. It's way riskier. <laughs> and I'll tell you financially, like lifestyle wise, everything, it is way riskier to do that. But it's it was a gamble and it paid off. So yeah, I, I would say it definitely was directly influenced for my time being a musician. Amazing. In terms of taking the risk, and obviously there are a lot of risks that's involved in taking your route, especially trying to find something that is different to other people, what other people is doing. So I bet there was a lot of challenges, a lot of mistakes, especially when it comes to putting your money and the bet into something that you don't even know what the outcome is for. So what was the common challenges or mistakes that you've done along the way, but also found some success alongside with what not to do for people, for those listening? Do you have anything that you'd like to share in regards to that? I mean, any business owner will tell you there's a ton of mistakes. So earlier ones was simply like what you probably hear all the time, not having a process for whatever it is, SOPs, sales, client success, like not having the process built, but also making the mistake of, hey, I need to build the entire thing before I do it, which I was actually never like that. I I, I always was building the plane while I was flying it, as as my business coach would say. But it it always just ended up being like there were there was there was always things going wrong because you're learning on the fly. In a lot of cases, as you build a business, you will continue to learn on the fly until you die. It's just nobody's perfect and they all make mistakes. And as I got into higher tiers of social status or bigger networks, larger, more wealthier networks, I started to realize a lot of times like those people are just as screwed up and make just as many mistakes as I did. So it kind of took the pressure off. I'm like, okay, that guy that's doing nine figures a year, like, constantly screws up and if that's normal it's okay one of the biggest ones i can say was it's the hidden mistakes the stuff that you don't really see and it normally comes from the inability to make hard decisions so letting someone go for example firing somebody not because they aren't a good person but because they're technically underperforming and you're thinking well maybe it's me Maybe I haven't given them enough opportunity. Maybe I haven't trained them enough. Maybe I haven't gone the extra mile for that person. Maybe they feel that they're not getting paid enough. Maybe they feel they're not getting enough attention. And so you have that initial call with that person. And then you walk through those questions and you try to rip it out of them as to what can I do to make this better for both of us. And eventually you have somebody like we, as a company, like we're pretty lenient. We have unlimited mental health days with no questions asked. Nobody has abused it ever, right? We have big paid vacation days. We have 401k, we do healthcare, and we very much try to do a four day work week to which I think everybody, but two people, me being one of them, don't work Fridays. So I tried to do a very forward thinking company because that's what I would have wanted when I was younger. I went, I had one person that just went to follow her dreams. And, and she did like, I, I don't want to call it like a Broadway show, but one of my copywriters left for six and a half weeks. And then she comes back and she's, I can't believe that you would even let me do that. I said, well, my employers, when I was touring in a band, let me do that. Right. But the biggest mistake is then seeing the people that 
kind of tell you that's that they're grateful, but on the back end, they are sabotaging and cannibalizing your efforts. And it might not even be on purpose, right? So you as a leader have to be able to identify not only where it has direct impact, hey, the work didn't get done, but you also have to look at like, how is this person's attitude or how is their lack of attention to their work affecting the rest of the team? And, and another good example would be if you have a sales leader that crushes it, he closes 80% of all your deals, but he's a prick or she is a prick, right? You think that's helping or hurting the team in the long run to have somebody who's just a nasty person being like embedded so deeply in your organization. Like it's not worth it. No amount of money is worth it. That's my belief anyway. Like I'm not driven solely for cash. I'm really driven to make a really cool culture and a really cool company that does some really cool shit. So it's, but it's, I think that's where it really comes down to, is this person thinking about themselves or is this person thinking about the growth of the entire company collectively as a unity, as a unit? Because the people that only think about themselves and they don't really regard how it affects the rest of the team, those are the ones that I've found that when I was really struggling to let that person go because they were so good at their job that it ended up hurting me in the long run. And I should have stuck with my gut and I should have just let them go from the start. So yeah. that was the biggest mistake I had was keeping people on, even if they were very talented without and, and looking past that gut feeling and not sticking with the gut. So just not having them as part of the, they didn't believe in the culture of the business. So. Mm. Totally. I mean, that's one of the biggest challenges too, like having that trust in somebody to, to do the right thing. It's, I guess, one of the biggest challenges the business owners and entrepreneurs go through. And I totally agree with you on that as well. Cool. In terms of the next question, we're going to a little bit drift off to a little bit, talk a little bit more about your businesses and how you guys help with in terms of the clients. I would love to kind of go over a little bit. How do you guys like measure the success of your clients? And at the same time, I know you talked a little bit that some clients made more revenues during the time that you guys helped them. But what are the key success that you saw from working with the clients? And what are the significant growth that, that you've seen after working with the clients, working with the Kyber Digital? So we did this analysis at the end of December last year. And on average, excluding the outliers in this, our clients, the ones that work with us for 12 months or more, they tend to see 164% gross revenue jump in 12 months. So that's like more than doubling the amount of the business. And I would say that the way in which we measured it at first, it was when we were working primarily with, with service companies and contractors, it was, well, is the phone ringing? And that's all they cared about. I could plaster a company's name across the Super Bowl arena and they would not give a shit if it didn't make their phone ring. It was always like, the phone's not ringing, something's wrong. And, it's, and when the phone rang, you never heard from them. So that, that was sort of an indicator of, is this working or is it not? And once we started to get our grounding of, hey, we haven't heard from the clients, this is good. <laughs> this is a good thing. Then we started to dive into, well, why haven't we heard from them? And we started to look at the analytics and we're looking at what was before and what was after. And we had Google Analytics, Google Search Console, Google Data Studio was a tool we used for a little bit. And then we started to measure the interactions and engagement and the multi-touch attributions. Eventually, I'll do a shameless plug here for my data guys. We work with a company called Bear Cognition now, and they have a software called Perceptivity which we use to track. It's like a Wattagraph competitor, but the pricing is agency friendly and it beats the crap out of Wattagraph. And if you guys need a, to, to a data analyzation company, as well as a, a reporting company, those guys just kick ass. I can't recommend anybody else in, in any kind of conscience. Like I'll stick with them for a while. So we, we now have these custom dashboards built where we measure like CPM, CPL, CPV, throughout the entire campaign from the executive dashboard, not just from Google ads or Google search console. Now it's all under one umbrella. So as we look at these campaigns, I'm saying, okay, we put essentially, let's just look dollars to donuts from a high level. We put two grand into SEO and like 15 into ads. And we're seeing that ratio wise, it was like this. And then we start to even it out. And it looks like this. We eventually started to figure out where the data curves began to happen. And 
What I'm now looking for is the very nerdy term that it's essentially momentum-based marketing. But what I'm looking for is the actual Brachistochrone curve. In physics, a Brachistochrone curve is the fastest way from the top to the bottom. If you look at it in a, like a ramp, it's almost like a, a concave lens. It's not a perfect circle, but it's almost like a concave lens. And so I looked at it like this. Well, a 45 degree angle of a right triangle, right? 45 degree angle is your SEO. It's the slowest to start, gets there pretty good. It's pretty solid, smooth ride, but eventually it gets there. Your ads are like the straight fall where you have high acceleration and they always taper off, always. And it does not matter. You can talk to the Perry Belchers of the world. They will all tell you if you've ever just doubled the ad spend, you don't continue to maintain the same ROI. It eventually just stops having the same impact. The, the returns are diminishing. So that's why it kind of starts fast, starts great, tapers off, and it becomes not as effective. You start to lose it because you're really, if you think about it, you're only tailoring to one type of buyer, buyers that will buy from a direct response ad and from an immediate source of hey, this is in your face, here's our product, buy it. So you kind of have to have both. You kind of have to have organic and paid. Whether organic is social or SEO or it's word of mouth, whether paid is content syndication or advertising or TV, it doesn't matter. There's really only two ways to get your stuff out there is organic and paid. And I basically said, how can I create the Brachistochrone curve that's a scalable model. That's maybe not a template. It's not replicatable, but how do I make this where I know I can create this in data? And what do I have to look for in the data that will allow me to get this Brachistochrone curve? Because if I can show that this is happening in revenue, not in leads, not in appointments booked, not in anything, if I could show this is happening in revenue, then we're on to something. So I started to look at what was driving conversions because conversions are the first indicator clicks are great sure but like you start really looking at what was a quality conversion and going all the way back to did that conversion actually become a customer if the answer is no it's not a conversion then it's a form fill right if it's not an actual true conversion so we started to get our data better we started to say okay now we're going to make the data way more accurate again make data say they have to be a paying customer in order for it to count as a conversion. That takes a little bit of customization and finesse on the data side for every individual client, but we make that happen now so that we know that our efforts are true. And, and so now we're looking at it from a revenue standpoint. We have an average number associated with each conversion. So we know like roughly where our numbers are going. So when I look at how many conversions we have, I can see the revenue numbers. And now we're able to go, okay, we see that we're making, we're generating money and I can see the expenses right next to it. And I don't even need to talk to the client. I got my expenses and my, my, my potential profit right next to each other. And I'm going, okay, whatever we did with the SEO over there, whatever we did with ads, whatever we did with that magazine PR push we did, like that generated a ton of traffic it's showing me, which generated all these leads. But before they went there, they also went to this place and this place and then they converted multi-touch okay, let's kind of combine what we know worked into one funnel, into one landing page, and let's double down on that. Let's see if that works. And it continues to be an experiment throughout the entire life of this campaign. But the difference is that we're trying to keep the client up to date with what we're doing so that they realize that it's not just a bunch of throwing shit against the wall to see what sticks. It's an entirely data-led approach. And that's how you have to be in marketing anymore is you have to be able to let the data tell you where to go. That's your compass. Right. And if you're not using a data led approach, you are throwing shit against the wall to see what sticks. So I just had to lean into the data. So my measurement of success is are we getting true conversions, like paying customers? And did we get that true conversion at a profit? Right. Am I looking at it from a simple ROI calculator? How much did it cost to get that client on average? What was the cost per lead? What was how, what was our close rate? Like we're asking the clients all these things and we're taking averages. And if we see the number is in the, the red, then that's a poor indicator. Once we see that it's green, we start to look for specific data points. Traditionally, before we throw gasoline on the fire, we're looking for a 25% conversion rate, right? And then that's like our, our base. But our CTRs are really high from quantum search right? Normal CTRs from blogs and stuff are between one and 5% and ours are in the thirties. So, because it's a data-led approach. So 
we're able to create that Chrome curve a lot faster than 12 months. It typically happens in four to six. But that's the way we measure success is like, are you making more money? Yes or no? <laughs> if the answer is no, it's not working. Are you making more money is the only way you measure success. So that, that's really just how we did it, man. I mean, it's a very long-winded approach with the data, but that's exactly what we do. Those are lead gen companies. That's, that's the major difference, which is why I said I, I, I didn't want to be a lead generation company because I didn't see any value in it. Those leads mean nothing. Leads don't always correlate to dollars. In fact, in, you know, with how saturated that entire industry got, it's now like hardly ever correlating to dollars. So I only want the conversion that was a paying customer. That's all I care about. And the secret to that sauce is to make it happen on the algorithm side of wherever you're doing your search engines or ads or whatever. You got to make it happen inside of the algorithm. Fuck what everyone else thinks, dude. I mean, in all sincerity, I know that's, there's a lot of people that say something similar, but look, there's plenty of stuff on YouTube and on TikTok to figure out how to make money online or how to start a business, whether it's I'm passionate for cupcakes, I want to make a cupcake business. Like you can figure out how to do that through the school of YouTube. Everything is free. But the only time you got to go to college anymore is if you need the, the certification of degree in order to do the job, like a nurse, a doctor, a chiropractor, whatever. But all the information is free. You just have to start somewhere by searching for it. And you can train the TikTok algorithm to, to only show you stuff that you want, which is what I did. Now I only get AI stuff so I can stay on top of trends, right? So it's your brain just has to be wired a certain way and you have to actually want it. You might not know what the outcome is yet in your starting business, but you, you know that you want something different and you want more for yourself. And the people that tell you that you can't have that and that you should do something else and you should get that degree, you should have a steady nine to five job. You shouldn't tour in a band living on nothing. You shouldn't tour because you, you had a kid and now you got to have security for that kid. You shouldn't be in a touring band anymore. Fuck them. It, it's like you got one life to live and like that, this is your only time. Time's your only non-renewable resource. Why would you want to do anything that you hate for the rest of your life just to pay the bills? That's it's stupid. Happiness is the only thing that matters, right? And for, the, for you and the people that you care about. So I'll leave you with this quick analogy. I, I tell this story quite a bit, but I think the most, the, the, the idea behind how Kyber was built is that we would go and tour somewhere and we'd see someone doing something different, or we'd see someone that, that took extra time and effort to do something crazy. A really dumb example. You got In-N-Out Burger on the West Coast. Then on the East Coast, you have a bunch of other chains like Cookout. Like it's only in the Southern States. It's only on the coast. Well, as a touring band, we've been to both, and but you can't really ever hit two in the same day, or can you? So we were at a wedding, and my drummer, dude, I got an idea. I was like, okay, he's like, I'm gonna grab some hush puppies from Cookout, and I'm gonna get them on a plane. <laughs> I, I I already knew where he was going. I was like, oh god. So we, we go and get hush puppies from Cookout. He flies back from this wedding back to LA. About two hours later, he sends me a picture of him putting the hush puppies on an In-N-Out burger and putting them together. And I'm not kidding. Like, this is like not the first time that something like this has happened. Right. <laughs> and then the quotation underneath of it was like punk as fuck. Right. <laughs> so the whole idea of punk as fuck to us, like we would be on the road and we would see something and be like, yo, that is punk as fuck, dude. Like it would be something that was just done for the sake of it being done. And the person that did it didn't give a shit about what people thought. And Nine times out of 10, it made somebody smile. It made something better. They went against the grain. You know, if you're looking in politics, there's very heavy evidence to show, like, for example, like JFK was assassinated. Whether you think it's a, a conspiracy or not, the guy really wanted to merge Russia and the United States in the space race. It's, that was very public information. He had approached Russia many times about joining forces. And after the Cuban Missile Crisis, they actually began to take those conversations very seriously when the red phone was put in. And the son of the oligarch of the Russia militia at the time said, my dad was having these conversations with JFK. And the last time they spoke, at first he said, son, I thought this guy was a joke when he got presidency. Now I'm starting to consider his offer. 
about making these two things happen. And then he was assassinated. And then Lyndon B. Johnson comes in and says, yeah, no, we're not playing with Russia. We're not doing that. And the, the dream died, right? But the idea that he had all of his advisors saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. It's a bad idea. But he really believed that it was the right thing to do. He thought it would potentially bring world peace between these two Cold War entities. It's dude, that's, that's punk as fuck. It's like he's doing what he believes in, despite everyone telling him not to, because he thinks it's the right thing to do. And that takes balls, man. That takes guts, especially when you're a global political figure. Like yeah. millions of lives of the, uh, are at stake. So the whole idea of punk as fuck became Kyber's like backdoor slogan, like in our core values, like the last one is be punk as fuck. And I tell the team, this is sort of like where this came from. It's the idea of pushing the envelope, even when someone's telling you it's a bad idea, don't do it. You're going to fail. You really shouldn't do that. You know, even if the odds are not in your favor, never tell me the odds for you Star Wars fans. It's kind of like that. It's fuck it, dude. We're doing it. I don't give a shit. We're doing it. So that's what I would tell those people that's, that, that are worried about starting the business. Stop worrying about all the financial risks and stop worrying about failing. You know how many times that we've failed doing something at this agency? You know how many times we've seen something catastrophically crash and burn? And I, 2022 was not an easy year for us. We actually lost revenue in 2022 as we were growing, right? And now, because we put all this effort in and we experimented, we did what we needed to do. Now we're in a polar opposite position where we're like way up. So I, I think it just comes down to that idea of screw what people think, do what you believe and follow that, that belief system, do what makes you happy and fuck what people think. That is the only advice I can give somebody that I, I truly have. That's what I would say to your question. I love that. It's just exactly the same thing that the book, the, the Out of Not Give a Fuck. It's a really amazing book. It's really cool. I haven't read it, but I probably should. Yeah, it's exactly the same approach, honestly. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. yeah, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jay. Like, it really means a lot to us to jump on this podcast call. And this brings us to the end of this episode. And thank you so much, Jay, once again, for joining us on a discussion of building business from scratch with Jay. And as always, thanks for listening to our Supercharger with Digital Marketer. And if you enjoy our show, please follow and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And be sure to come back in two weeks for the next two episodes. Until then, this is Kazuki. And don't forget, don't stop and keep believing. See you next time.